Luke chapter number 15 this morning. And I like to begin reading in verse number 11. This will be a familiar passage of Scripture to you. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus is speaking a parable and He said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. He began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to be merry. Now, of course, you know the parable continues on from there, but that's where our reading will end this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we love You and thank You for this time that You've allowed us to be together. Lord, what a precious thing it is to be with Your people. Lord, I thank You that we have the privilege to be able to gather together in this place to gain encouragement from Your Word, Lord, for Your Word to deal with us, to to cut our lives, to purge our lives, Lord, to purify and cleanse our lives. And Lord, I'm just thankful for the house of God this morning. I pray that You deal with us according to Thy will. You know the hearts of each and every person here. So Lord, You know our strengths. You know our weaknesses. You know the things that we wish for and desire. And Lord, You know the things that are besetting about us as obstacles, as hindrances to our walking with You. And I just pray You'd have Your will and way in those matters. And Father, that You would deal with us and that we would respond obediently. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Now today, of course, is Father's Day. And uh, you don't hear as much about Father's Day as you do about Mother's Day. And uh, I think fathers, most of them satisfied with a tie or a tape measure, a roll of duct tape. But uh, today is Father's Day. I think one of the reasons you don't hear as much about Father's Day as Mother's Day is because Father, sadly, uh, has been a diminished role in our country and in our culture uh, for the past few decades, really for the past 40 50 years, there's been an attempt to displace the father in the home, replace that father with government, replace it with community, replace it with culture, replace it with Hollywood. And uh, sad to say, but us men, we've got to start taking those spaces back, standing up and stepping in and being the fathers that uh, our forefathers were blessed with. And when I began to think about fatherhood, and I don't know about you, but when I think about fathers, I don't really think about myself, although I am a father, and I, I, I think about my father, but I know that my father uh, and my perspective of him is molded and shaped by our heavenly father. Uh, in other words, when I think of Father's Day, I think primarily about our father, God. We think about God the Father and His love of us and His care of us. And my mind was immediately drawn to this passage because really what this is is a parable that's uh, about a few things. Now, I think if you're a student of the Bible, you know this parable's really dealing with Israel and the Gentiles and it's dealing with God's love of both of them and God's plan for both of them. It's reminding us of how the Gentile world was snatched away and robbed away from the uh, sort of influence and, and governance of God, but that God's got a plan to uh, reach the world and to bring all all those that by faith would uh, place their care and their hope and their soul in His care and would be willing to come home to the God that created them. And of course, Israel is pictured as the older brother, the one that has been home the whole time and that there's some animosity between the two. 
But it's not just the story about Gentiles and Jews and God's plan for humanity. It's also the story of a father. It's interesting to me in parables to consider not just what the Lord said, but what He didn't say or maybe what He could have said. He could have likened God to any one or any role or any office that He could have chosen to, but He decided to tell us that God is like a father to us. We read this story and it's the story of a father's home a place of sanctuary, a place of safety, a place of provision for his son. It is the story of a father's heart, or maybe I could say of a father's heartbreak. Because this father sadly has to watch his son walk down the driveway and out of his life and has to deal, and you parents have probably lived this. Some of you, you've known what it is to lay awake at night in the wee hours of the morning and weep and pray and ask God to watch over and protect your children and keep them safe and wonder where they are or wonder what they are doing. It's the story of a father's heart. But I'm thankful to say not only that, it's the story of a father's hope. Because we find that whenever that son comes home, the father is looking for him, waiting for him. Isn't it good to know that our father is always waiting for us to come home? It reminds me of God, our heavenly father. And you know, there's scriptural precedent for that relationship. God has a desire to be a father to you and to I. In Second Corinthians chapter 6, God said to us that if we would come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, God said, I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God wants to have that kind of relationship with every single person that He has ever created. He wants to have that relationship with you and with I. And let me say this, that He is every Christian's Father. But He also wants to be venerated and received and treated and respected as a Father. I think about what the Old Testament prophet said. He said, you call me Father, but you don't reverence me like a son does. And sadly, that's true of a lot of us as Christians. When we get in trouble, we want to call out to our Heavenly Father. We want to say, Daddy, help me. But sadly, day to day, we don't want to treat Him like a Father. I think about this story, and it's a story of a father, but not only that, I think we'd recognize it's the story of a son. In fact, relatively speaking, we're told little about the father compared to a son. It's the story of a son's leaving of his father's home. It's the story of him walking away from everything that he had, from everything worth having. How many of you in this room would give anything? And some of you all that have maybe one or two white hairs may give me a witness and an amen here. How many of you all wish more than anything you could go back home to mom and daddy's house just for a little bit of time? They may have gone on to glory. They may be with the Lord right now. The old home place may be sold, but you give everything that you own to be able to go back and see mom and daddy and smell the smell of the house you was raised in, hear the sound of their voice once again, I'm in there. I, I don't know if you're like me. We used to go uh, to uh, my grandmama on my daddy's side, my daddy's mama and daddy. We used to go to their house every Christmas. We'd spend there, and we'd cram by like four thousand people in this little four hundred square foot house. And I, I, they, my, I, we must have had an ancestor that froze to death at some time because my family has a serious phobia of it getting cold. They'd have that wood stove stoked up so hot in there that you couldn't even breathe. We'd be piled up sitting in bathtubs and on top of toilets with family that we didn't hardly know at all. That was Christmas to us. And I still have memories, and uh, some of them the therapy hadn't been able to remove, of those times when we would, would gather together. I can remember the smell of the house. I can remember the sound, the buzz, the activity uh, that was going on. And this son, he left all of that. He walked away from that place of sanctuary and safety. It's a story of a son's leaving, but it's also the story of a son's losing. Losing everything that he had. In fact, when this boy comes to himself, he literally has nothing. He's sitting there staring at the pig slop saying, I give anything for just one spoonful of what those pigs are eating. Can I tell you something? Listen, as a Christian, we better stay close to the Father's house because there's a great cost to walking out and trying to live on our own. And it is the story of a son's learning. Because he learns that things were better off at home than they were in the far country. They were better off where the father was than where the foreigners were. It was better off where he had been than where he got to. It's the story of him learning about life. It's the story of a son and how that son played the fool in the far country. When I preach to the young people, I emphasize this, and I suppose I will this morning as well. The real tragedy of this young man's life is he was played for a fool. How many of you hate to be played for a fool? I bet everyone would probably admit that. 
You hate for it to be found out that you were taken advantage of. Somebody got the better of you in a way that damaged you. And there's probably not much we hate worse than for someone to make us look foolish and someone to make us look silly. And when I read this passage, the great tragedy of this young man's life is that he went out into the world and gave the world everything and got nothing in return. The moment that there was nothing else the world could get out of him, it kicked him to the curb. It threw him in the pig pen and the hog slop. He was played for the fool because he left. The Father's house. I thought about the people that were engaged in this. You know, you have a heavenly Father, but can I say this? Before you got saved, you had a, you had a hellish Father. The Bible says in John chapter number 8, verse 44, Christ is talking to the Pharisees, and He said this to the Pharisees, You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. In other words, God wants to be a father to you, but the devil wants to play the role of a father as well. And that's what he did in this young man's life. I see in this passage that Satan gained a stooge in this young man. Satan got his will. Satan got his way. Satan got this young man's ear and the influence in this young man's life. And Satan got exactly what he wanted. You make no mistake, friend, the devil is after each and every one of us. He has a plan for our life. He has a will for our life. He has a desire to govern our life and guide our life and to draw from our life everything that he can before he kicks us to the side. I see that Satan gained a stooge. I see the citizen in the far country. He gained a slave. You know who that citizen in the far country reminds me of? He reminds me of the world because he acts the way the world did. The world only seeks a transactional relationship with you. You listen to me, Christian? The world only seeks a transactional relationship with you. The world is only interested in what it can get out of you. Hey, listen, when are we going to wise up? That Listen, uh, the, uh, the, our, our power, our influence, our sense of fulfillment does not come in being a victim group, in being a voting block, in being a lobbying group. It comes from our relationship with the God of glory. The world is never going to respect who and what we are as believers. And Christ told us that right out of the gate. Christ said, the world hates you because it hates me. Now, why has it taken us all this time and we still haven't soaked it in that the world has no love for us? So if the world is showing an interest in you, it is merely transactional. What it can get out of you is its only interest. And the moment you are of no value to it, it will kick you to the curb. Just like the devil, the god of this world. I'm preaching to Christians this morning. You listening to me? I'm preaching to Christians this morning that have one foot on the driveway this morning. I'm talking about maybe you're halfway down the driveway. I'm talking about you ain't even out the driveway, but somebody done give you a magazine from the far country and you're flipping through it and looking at all the advertisements and seeing what the activities are out there. I'm telling you, the world has no love for you. But your father does. See, I see this. I see Satan gained a stooge. I see the citizen... He gained a slave, but I see the son lost it all. He lost his place of influence. He lost his inheritance that he had. Hey, we have a, we have an inheritance. Now we have one inheritance that's incorruptible that fadeth not away that's reserved in heaven for us. And I'm glad the world can't touch that, but you mark her down. Listen, the inheritance we have of a godly heritage, of a testimony to a lost and dying world, that can be taken from us if we are not careful. And he lost his integrity. There was no lower place for a young Jewish man to be than to be feeding the hogs. But he wasn't just feeding the hogs. He was desiring to eat what the hogs had. I think we read this passage. I think anybody that is that is unbiased would read this passage and would say, you know, that young man wound up looking like a fool before it was all said and done with. Wound up in the pigsty having to come to himself and realize that he had made a mistake and trying to find his way back home. Here's what I want. Before I preach my message this morning, here's what I want for you, uh, young person. Uh, listen to that. Young person. Uh, you say, I'm not a young person. Just take the compliment. I said, this is what I want for you, young person, old person, fat person, skinny person. I didn't look at nobody when I said that. Good-looking person, and I'm talking about me, and everybody else of all kinds in this room. I'm saying this to you. <laughs> I'm saying this to you this morning. Don't go down the driveway. I'm saying this to you, you got far more in the Father's house than the world could ever give you. I'm saying don't play the fool this morning. You know, when I read this passage, I think I could say that there was basically three things that caused this young man to play the fool. Or we might say it this way, that his playing the fool could really be described 
as it relates to these three things that he did. Notice them with me. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says that a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. So the young man's first mistake was to go to his father and ask of his living because not many days after. You know why? Because there's some things we just ain't responsible enough for. I said there's some decisions we just ain't responsible enough for. There are some things, listen, there are some people in this world, you give them a million dollars today, they'll be flat broke in two months. Can I tell you something? There are some things in our life that we're not responsible enough for. So God loves us enough to watch over us and care for us. This young man's first mistake was leaving the father's house. I, I, I see, and I'm going to say it this way. You, you know, the first thing he did, he traded the father's care for the far country. Imagine, if you will, this may seem carnal or, or, or worldly to you, but imagine almost like a movie that pans into scene and into focus. And the first thing that you see is this young man living in a home where he is cared for, where he is preferred, where he is prestige, where he is protected. He has everything he needs at that home. How many of you didn't know how good you had it till you left your house? Well, spiritually, that's where this man was. I see the father's love for him. I see how much his daddy cared about him. First, I noticed this, that his father loved him squarely. And you might say, what do you mean, preacher? He loved him equally. The Bible tells us that he had two sons. Now, conventionally speaking, you would imagine that he would start talking about the older son. But that's not what this story is really about. What it's really about, at least the first portion of it, is about the younger son. You know what that tells me? That tells me this, that that father loved both of his sons equally. He cared about both of them. It didn't matter that the younger son was younger. It didn't matter that he was not the heir to everything. It didn't matter uh, that he uh, maybe did not have the talents or abilities. And certainly he did not have the loyalty that his older brother has. When the older brother starts talking to the father, that's really his complaint. His complaint is, why are you loving on him so much? I'm the older son. I've been with you the whole time. I've never done anything to disgrace you. I've never done anything to disappoint you. But see, here's the reality. This father loved both of his sons, not because of what they could do, not because of what they could produce, not because of how they could help him. Those of you that have been parents, you know what I'm about to say now? You know why I loved them the same? Because they were both sons. At the end of the day, it didn't matter. I remember my parents telling me one time years ago, said when you have multiple kids, you'll be amazed your heart becomes elastic and you don't love one of them less. It's like it just gets bigger and you love all of them exactly the same. And you know, I think that mirrors the way God is with us. God doesn't love you because of what He can get out of you. God loved you when there wasn't nothing worth getting out of you. God loved you when there wasn't nothing about you that was lovable, nothing about you that was redeemable. God redeemed you anyway. Hey, listen, God took a loss when He saved us. You understand that? It was a sacrifice. He loved him sincerely. And can I tell you something? God loves you. You may look at other Christians and say, man, they've really got it all together. looks like God is favoring them and blessing them. But can I remind you that the things that they have, the bounty in their life may be the blessing of God, but the barrenness that you sense and feel so keenly, and you say, why do they have this and I don't have that? That too is a blessing in life. Your Heavenly Father doesn't love anybody above anybody else. He has the same care for all of us. He loved him squarely. And then, I think most of us uh, will notice this right away. He loved him sacrificially. So the son comes to him and says this, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. This tells me two things. One, it is just an ingrained trait for kids to ask for money. That's always been have. That ain't new. That's always been the case. But you know the second thing I notice? He gives him this, of course. What he was really asking was for the father's life. So what do you mean? He said the portion of his living. Now this, I think we could probably say, means he wanted jurisdiction over a portion of the father's estate. The father had a certain spread of, of land and of goods and he seems to be somewhat agricultural. He at least has a, a fatted calf and he has servants. That would imply that they worked in fields. He seems to weather the famine pretty well. So it seems that this is sort of a farm of sorts. He's got this spread that belongs to him and he intends to leave it to his two sons. Now, that young son is probably not saying, I want half your cows so that I can have something to eat. He's probably not saying, I want half your land so that I have some place to live. What he's probably saying is this, I want jurisdiction over half of what is yours. 
One of these days, it's half going to belong to me anyway. So here's what he really wants. He wants autonomy. He wants independence. Can I say a little simpler? He wants to run things. He wants to make the choices. He wants to make the decisions. He believes he can do it better than his father can do it. And he wants to be the one making the choices. Now, here's the funny thing about that jurisdiction, that authority, that influence, that administration. The father and son couldn't both hold it at the same time. Somebody had to be the leader. Somebody had to be the authority over that portion of his goods. So here's what he did. He said, all right, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to let you handle it. In other words, if the son had this portion of his goods, that meant the father didn't. Can I say it this way? The father loved him sacrificially. The father gave of himself to his son. And can I go a step further? Using biblical language, he gave part of his life to his son and said, take it with you and do whatever you see fit with it. You know, that sort of reminds me of what God did because God gave us his only begotten son. And you know, the son of God was also God the son. He is God and as such... He both gave us His Son, but He also gave us Himself when He died on the cross of Calvary. He gave us Himself. See, here's the truth of the matter. God loved you so much that He gave His only begotten Son and He gave Himself personally unto you. God loves you sacrificially. As a parent, listen, those of you that have children know exactly, and even if you don't, you can guess at it. You know exactly what it is to be a parent. It's to give of your own self unto your children. It's to say, my life is yours. It is to waste yourself upon their protection, upon their safety, upon their provision. And what an image that is of what God has done for us. So the Father loved Him sacrificially. But then I noticed this, the Father loved Him sincerely. Now what happened? Now here's what I would have said. And really this is, this is a human trait because this is why we have things called trust. You know what a trust is? A trust is when people with far more money than I look at it and say, my kid is an idiot. And if I give him this money right now, he's going to blow every penny up. So instead, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that money. I'm going to put it in a trust. And when he is at a certain age, when I'm hoping he'll be smarter than he is now, then he can access that money and then he'll be able to do that. Now, poor folks did that with savings bonds and stuff like that. I probably still got a savings bond somewhere stuck in a drawer. Probably worth, I don't know, $40 million or something now. No, it's probably worth nothing now. But... um you know, this this was what people did because they're understanding that uh, given the immaturity of this young person, they probably don't have the wherewithal to handle this. You know, the father didn't do that, though. The father didn't say, I'm going to give you jurisdiction and administration of half of my living, but only upon these conditions. No, it was without condition. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says that not many days after, he gathered his substance and left. You know what he did? He sold out half the farm... I don't know if he sold it to his brother. I don't know if he sold it to a neighbor. But he sold out half his farm and left and took what he had. And you know what we don't find at all? We don't find the father trying to stop him. Now listen, I'm not giving you a... This isn't a sermon on parenthood, understand. I'm not saying that you ought to let your children make dumb decisions and just not care and say, well, life will teach them. Let me tell you something. Life will teach them, but that's an expensive teacher. The tuition is pretty high. So I'm not advocating that. I'm merely noticing the fact that the father did not only love his son when he would do what he wanted. He loved him even when he was doing that which displeased his father. You see, here's the truth. This young man, he saw the father's house as a place of limitations. But you know, it really was a place of liberty. He had more choices in the father's care than he had in the far country. When he winds up in the far country, he winds up as another man's slave. He's told when to go to bed. He's told when to go up. He's told to get up. He's told when he can eat. He's told uh, when he can rest. He's told everything. He's told to go out and, and, and feed the swine, which is something he would not have wanted to do. You see, he had no choices when the devil was his father. When God was his father, he had choices. He said, what choices did he have, preacher? Well, I noticed three. One, he had the choice to stay. Now, when you're young, you don't think about that. But when you grow up, and you find out that rent ain't free and mortgages ain't free, you grow to appreciate that you had a table to slide your feet under, that you had a roof over your head when you were young, and that you had the choice to stay. He could have stayed there. Number two, he had the choice to spend. I'm sure it displeased the father, but the father didn't stop him. The father said, I told you that this was yours, and as such, I'm going to let you do what you please with it. You know, I noticed a third thing. He had the choice to stray. The father did not stop him when he went down the driveway. 
He didn't stop him from walking away. He didn't stop him from getting messed up. He didn't stop him from getting his life broken to pieces. Can I say this? Our Heavenly Father, He loves us. He don't want us to make shipwreck of our lives. But at the end of the day, He respects our autonomy. If we want to make a wreck of our lives, He'll let us do it. Let me tell you how good God is. Can I tell you how good God is? He'll even be there to pick up the pieces. See, what He does not want to do, what He does not want is a bunch of robots. He wants a relationship. He had the choice. In fact, there's only one thing that I could see that he could not choose to do. And just like a young person, it's the very thing he wanted to do. He could not waste himself and stay at the Father's house. He had to leave to do that. In other words, he couldn't stay there and bring the far country into the Father's house. If he wanted the far country, he had to leave to go to participate in it. Now, that is a lesson in parenthood. Hey, you, you, know, the, you know the thing that, that ought to be a deal breaker? God help me to say this in sincerity and to mean it. Listen, you know what ought to be the deal breaker? Listen, you go to the far country if that's what you make up your mind to do, but you will not bring the far country into this house. You will not bring the far country into this house. You're going to have to go somewhere else to do that. I see he had all kinds of choices. So the father loved him sincerely. It wasn't just when he did what he wanted, but then I noticed the father loved him steadfastly. So what do you mean? Well, he wasted his substance with riotous living, but the father never quit loving him. The father never quit loving him. Even when he arrives back home, the father, it would appear, is standing there watching, waiting, keeping an ear out and an eye towards the road. He never quit loving him. That reminds me of how God is. God never quits loving us. Now stop and think about all that that son gave up so that he could go to the far country. I'd say he was a fool because he traded the father's care for the far country. Now notice the second thing. Look down at verse 16, or verse 14, excuse me. Verse 14, the Bible says, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want, and went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. I see in this passage a second reason he was a fool. Not only because he traded the father's care for the far country, but number two, because he traded his status as a son for a place with the pigs. Man, stop and think about it. He went from being a son in his father's house to being a slave with the swine, Brother Ken, in the far country. I'd say he was foolish because of that. I've said this, but I'll say it again. We often don't know what we have until we lose it. This young man did not respect what he had. In fact, he saw sonship as servitude until he got in the far country. And then he said, you know what? I didn't have it so bad when I was a son, but I'd be happy just to be a servant. Can I tell you something there? It may be that the very things that you, the very limitations that we complain about God placing upon us may be the very things we long for after we've lived out in the cold of the world for a little while. The very things he complained about. The very thing he chafed against. He wanted autonomy. He wanted choices. And then he said this, I've made a mess of my life. I'd give anything if my daddy could just make my choices for me again. And I could be a servant once more. Boy, what a low place he went to. I think about that great fall. You know, as a son, his protection was promised. He was watched over by the father. He says later on, even the servants had enough to eat and to spare. But I find a very instructive statement in verse 14. Notice it again. When he had spent all, I said, when? When? It was after he spent all, there arose a mighty famine. That tells me two things about life. One, famines tend to show up when we don't have no money in the first place. Number two, you know what it tells me? The famine don't care about your excuses. I really hammered on this with the young people, but maybe I ought to just hammer on it for all of us. You ready? The world does not care about your excuses. Your boss don't care about your excuses. It doesn't matter to them. They don't care what you spent your money on. They don't care what went wrong. Listen, the bank that holds your mortgage don't care. They could care less. They are not going to lose one wink of sleep at night. The famine does not care that you spent all your money on riotous living. It would help us to recognize the only person that cares is our Heavenly Father and maybe the brothers and sisters that we enjoy fellowship with in Christ. But at the end of the day, the world just simply does not care. I told you it's a transactional relationship. 
See, as a, as a son, his protection was promised. He says even the servants have enough to eat and to spare. Man, they're throwing out food at daddy's house. But as a stranger, his protection was precarious. All it took was one famine. And he went from being, I'm talking about out on the town, painting the town red. I'm talking about the, the, the coolest guy around. He went from that to utter ruin. You know, has it ever dawned on you? This is terrifying. You ready? Has it, have you ever done the math on how close you and I are to being homeless? I mean, like, we're not that far. <laughs> I'm talking about like most of us couldn't survive like two months out of work, you know. And it wouldn't take long. Are you shook yet by how our world is? Have you recognized how precarious things are? I'm talking about as Christians, we may have to reckon with the fact that we're going to be leaning to God a lot more than what we're used to. See, as a stranger, his his protection was precarious. The world didn't care. The world was willing to let him starve to death. It would be good if a whole generation of people could just reckon with the reality that the world just don't even care if you starve to death. We need something other than the world. The world has no interest in you. The world has no love for you. If you're looking for the world to protect you and watch over you, I'm sorry, you've missed it. You're going to need something other than the world. You're going to need a heavenly Father. So I see that as a son, his protection was promised. I see as a stranger, his protection was precarious. Not only that, you know, as a son, I see that his position was concrete. I don't see any requirements placed upon him in the father's house. The only thing it's even hinted at is the father said, you're not going to drag that mess into this house. But other than that, we don't find him saying, all right, here's the chore wheel on the refrigerator. You've got to go do this, 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 this. No, man, they had servants for all that. You don't find the father saying, you got to do this or do that. you got to get up, get out in the field and work. We don't find any of that. In fact, there were no conditions upon him staying at home when he was a son. You know why? Because that was built upon relationship, not upon transaction. Can I tell you something? God desires for us to live a life that gives him glory undoubtedly. And if you think living as a Christian does not mean sacrifice and service to the Lord, somebody lied to you. But understand this, being a child of God is not conditioned upon what God can get from us. No, listen, we have a place at the Father's table by His grace. We could not secure a place there in any other way. We're there by His grace. You see, as a son, His position was concrete. But as a, as a stranger, His position was conditional. The, the citizen of that country said, get out there and feed my pigs. What reckon you think would have happened if he had said, No, I'm sleeping in. He would have wound up with him and whatever worldly possessions he still owned thrown out on the road, or maybe worse. You see, this stranger was only interested. He could only hang around when he had something to offer. Good rule about the world. You listen this morning, the world's only interested in having you around when you're giving something to the world. That's the reason that it is a progressive thing getting out of the will of God. Because the world's always going to ask more and more and more and more. It's never going to be enough. As soon as it gets this from you. Listen, as soon as it gets your standards from you, it's going to come for your relationship with God. As soon as it gets your relationship with God, it's going to come for the relationship that your friends and family have with God. I'm talking about sin and the devil never just asks for a little bit and then leaves you alone. He doesn't wet his beak. He always comes for the whole thing. Always. So I see that his position was conditional as a stranger. And then I notice a third thing. The Bible tells us that he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Now, when he comes to himself, he says, my father's servants have enough to eat and to spare. If the servants had so much food that they had taken out the table scraps, don't you imagine that the son had even better? Whenever he comes home, here he is, nasty and dirty and messed up, broken, probably traumatized from the whole experience. He drags himself up the driveway and the father says, go get the fatted calf. He said, the fatted calf. I'm talking about, you say, how do you know the father had hope? Because he had been fattening a calf. Let me tell you something about the grace of God. Let me tell you how great the grace of God is. We can be messed up and broken and fall into pieces in the far country and God is fattening a calf for us. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. I'll tell you how, what I would have said. I would have said, well, if he wants something to eat, he can just come on back home. He can eat pinto beans or lima beans or whatever the worst kind of beans you can possibly think of. I like pinto beans. I do. Lima beans border on, on a type of torture that should probably be outlawed. Amen? I'd sooner be waterboarded than have to eat lima beans. Don't act like you were shocked. I've said so much worse. Don't get, all, uh, don't get your sensibilities in a twist on me. 
I'm saying this to you this morning. He had the best. The grace of God gives us the best. And he's in the far country. The Bible did not say he ate what the pigs ate. It's not what your Bible says. It says he, he would fain have filled his belly with the husks which the swine did eat. You know what that means? That means he wanted to, but he was told no. That means he came to the, to the citizen and said, won't you just let me eat a little bit of what the hogs had? And he said, no, that's for the hogs. So how could a man get in that shape? Well, he probably had debts that he had to pay. So whatever he would have been given uh, by the by the citizen of the far country. And by the way, you know, I think there's a strong argument to be made that this citizen could have at one time been a friend of his. And that's why he's got debts that he's paying off. And that's the reason he don't even have food to eat. You know why? He probably borrowed money from this boy and didn't have anything to pay it. And so the fellow said, well, you're going to be my slave and my servant now. And he hadn't paid off his debt. You'll never pay off your debts to the world. You'll never pay off your debt. I don't care what Dave Ramsey says. You'll never pay off your debts to the world. I'm talking about spiritually. Y'all get upset when I say something about Dave Ramsey. My goodness. Don't you talk about Dave Ramsey now. Preacher, me and you are going to have problems if you talk about Dave Ramsey. I'm just, I'm saying this to you this morning. I'm talking about those spiritual debts. You won't pay them off. I said you won't pay them off. That's the reason we need the grace of God, because you won't pay them all. You never could pay off your spiritual debts. I could never. We could go and die. We could die and go to hell for a, a, a million eternities, and it wouldn't pay off our debts. Somebody's got to pay them all for us. Never dawn on you. I wonder how that boy. Man, I'm just enjoying myself this morning. This ain't even in my message. So we're learning all this together. Listen. Did it ever dawn on you? I wonder how he got out from under that guy. I wonder, brother Ken, if he said something like this. I'm not doing you any good here. You've gotten everything you can get out of me. But I've got a daddy back home that would pay anything for me to get to come back home. And I promise you, if you'll let me go, I'll go to him and I'll secure payment. And say, you know, I'm saying this. I wonder if maybe the father bought him as a slave from the citizen of the far country. He ain't got enough money that he can even buy food for himself. He had debts he could not pay. Could it be that the father said, that's my boy. I've heard he's in the far country. I've heard he's somewhere. How did he come to himself? Could it be the father said, I've gotten news of where he's at. And he sent a messenger into the far country with a big old bag of gold and said, you go to this man and you tell him that's my son and I love him and you pay price. Whatever it takes, pay the price. Buy him out of that servitude. Tell him there's still a place at the father's house. Give him directions to come back home if he's forgotten. Do whatever it takes to get my son back to me. Could that be? That's why the father was looking down the driveway. Boy, that just. Are you with me? I said that just kind of reminds me of like what God did. God saw us in bondage and said, "I'll pay whatever price it takes." And He sent a messenger with a message that could remind us of how to come back to God and how to know God. And He paid a debt and He paid a price because He said, "Those are mine, and I love them and care for them." How do we come to ourselves? <laughs> I, I, I see that he, he had the best. I see as a stranger, he pleaded for the worst. For the worst. I just want what the swine eat. The fellow said, no. No, you can't even have that. The devil's going to bring you all kinds of, of offers and opportunities and temptations while you're at the Father's house. But you know, we'll get to a place where even the things that you feared, you won't be granted. You'll be given something worse than that. What a fool he was to trade his position as a son, his status as a son, for a place with the pigs. But then, you know, I notice a third thing. And you might disagree with what I'm about to say, but I'm preaching, so it's going to get said. Look at verse 18 with me. Well, let's look back at verse 17. When he came to himself, the Bible says, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. You know what I'm really interested in? I'm really interested in that first phrase in verse 17. When he came to himself. Let's don't think about that phrase. If he came to himself, that would mean he was not at himself. You ever heard someone say that about someone? Well, they're just not at themselves. Or, or they might say this, they've not been themselves lately. Now, if he was not himself lately, here's the question. We're going to get real, we're going to get real deep. Philosophy 101. You ready? If he was not himself, who was he? Right? Know thyself, right? If he was not himself, who was he? Or let me just say it a little more clearly. If the thoughts going through his mind were not really his thoughts, whose thoughts were they? 
if the things that he was telling himself were not really things coming from him, who was it whispering in his ear? Let me say it a little more clearly. What lies had he been told that he had to wake up from and see the truth? I would imagine it was probably the citizen. Now, you can disagree with that, I suppose. But I think it was probably the citizen that was lying to him. I think he probably knew he had a pretty good thing. He's got a slave that he don't even have to give pig food to. And he probably didn't want to lose him. And probably he was whispering some things in his ears. Now, when you look at what he says, so here he is, he's not at himself. He comes to himself and immediately says some things. That means the coming to himself was him declaring these things. So the opposite of these things must have been the lies that have been told to him, that he woke up from, that he realized all of a sudden. So let's think about what he says. Verse 17, what's the first thing he says when he comes to himself? He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? You know, I sort of think this. I think probably that citizen came along and said something like this to him. Probably that son said, you know, maybe I ought to just go home to my father. And that citizen probably said, why? Don't you know it's rough out here because there's a famine. It ain't going to be no better at your daddy's house. All that's going to happen, you can either starve here and be your own man or you can go home and have to be a servant unto him, and you'll still starve to death there. The famine don't care. Now, was that true? When he goes back home, (laughs) what happens? The the daddy says, bring the fatted calf. Hey, let's gather together and let's make merry. You know what that means? Have a party. Break out the Chex Mix. Get the Rice Krispies treats. Cut a watermelon. My boy is home. Here was the first lie he was told, that the father's house was a place of unbearable burdens instead of a place of unlimited bounty. You know what the devil will come along and say to you? The devil will come along and say, you ain't going to be no happier serving God. All that will happen, you go to serve God. You ain't going to have no peace. You ain't going to have no joy. But you won't even get to engage and participate in the carnal lust that you're able to participate serving me. Can I remind you, he's a liar from the beginning. Whenever this boy will come to himself, he says, man, that's dumb. My father's servants, he's weathered famines before and his servants always had enough to eat and to spare. I'm going to go home where I can get fed. Can I report to you? There's no famine at the father's house. Go home, man. The pantry is full. The table is ready. The dishes are piping hot. It's good in the father's house. The devil will say it ain't going to be no better for you, but he's a liar. He's just trying to keep you in the pigsty. You get one whiff of what they're cooking at the Father's house, you're going to know that was a lie. Say, what's this about? Why do I see all these Christians always shouting and always... They're just giving you a whiff of what it's like at the Father's house. You remember the old cartoons where the, the, the they'd sit the pile on the windowsill and the smoke, it would run out, turn into a hand, and grab Elmer Fudd. They took his guns away. Uh, they'd grab Elmer Fudd and pick him up and, and carry him back. That's That's just all it is when we're rejoicing, man. That's just a whiff from the Father's house reminding you, it's good here, Brother Ken. It's good here. The world's going to tell you there ain't no joy. The world's a liar. Look at the world. Do they look like they have joy? Man, they're burning the place down. I'm talking about they're marching in the streets. I'm talking about the world is on fire right now. Does it look like they have it all figured out? No, but can I tell you something? It's good at the Father's house. He knows what He's doing. His pantries are full. He's got enough for His children. What a lie the devil told him. So I see the first lie was probably that the father's house was a place of unbearable burdens instead of unlimited bounty. I've got to hurry. I I see the second one. The son says, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. So here's what he says. I'll just go home. I'll just go home. You know what that implies? That he'd be welcomed at home. When he comes to himself, he says, I can just go home. Daddy will be proud to see. He'll be pleased to see. He'll be thrilled that I'm back home. You know what I think the citizen had probably said to him? He'd probably said this. You don't want to go back home. Famine's there too. But listen, even if it is better, you think your daddy's going to want you back? After how you've lived? After what you've done? You better go back with half of his living if you want to go back at all. Because you go back, he's just going to make you a slave. And that boy believes that because he says, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. What did he plan on doing? He said, if I'm going to be working to pay off debts in the far country, I might as well just go home and pay off my debts. I owe him all this money. I might as well just go home. You know what a picture that is. Are you still with me? I'm enjoying myself. Hey, listen, if you're Matt, Shoney's is open 24 hours a day. All right, We ain't going to starve to death. 
Listen, isn't that a picture of the Christian life? So the Father looks at it and He says, all that I have is thine. But the Son looks at it and says, oh, what a debt I have to repay. What a picture that is of the Christian life. God looks at us and says, it's all yours by grace. But you know what our response ought to be? Like Paul said, I'm a bond slave. I'm a, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to do a little bit to pay off a debt that I know I can never pay off. If he couldn't even gain enough ground in the far country to be able to get food for himself, what hope did he have of going home and uh, paying off the debt of half of his father's living? He had no hope of doing that, but he said, I just want to go home and do what I can to pay off the debt of what you've done for me. You know, the devil will come along and say, God won't have you. God won't have you. Look how messed up you are. Can I remind you, he deals in messed up folks. In fact, it's kind of exclusively what he deals with. In fact, for a person to get help from the Lord, they've got to admit, I'm messed up. I'm broken. I can't fix myself. I can't save myself. I can't help myself. The devil will come along and say, God's only in it. You know why? Because the world is a transactional place. But God's redemptive in His nature. So I, I see in this passage, I, I see that, that He probably told him that His return would be rejected rather than rejoiced at. But then the third thing, He says this, I'm no more worthy to be called by Son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now, here's probably, when it says He came to Himself, here's probably how that happened, in my opinion. I think probably it got so bad that He said, I'd be happy just to be a servant of my Father instead of a servant of this foreign man. I don't even care that that's what I'll be. I'll be willing to go home. And then once he woke up to that reality, because that's how it is, friend. When you wake up to the reality, when you wake up to the... You know what God's in the business of? He's in the business of translating us out of the kingdom of dark, out of the power of darkness. I said the power of darkness. The power... Darkness has a power about it. If the devil can put scales on your eyes, then he'll keep you. When he came to himself, well, what? how did he come to himself? He probably said this, you know, I'm willing to humble myself and be a servant if that's what it takes. Well, what a picture that is of how a person gets born again. They say, listen, I, 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 this life is broken. It's messed up. I can't save myself. I'm willing to quit trying and just cast myself upon the care and grace of God. You know, you'll find when you do that, you do become a servant of sorts, but you become oh so much more than a servant. You become a son. You know, I think that probably tells us so what that servant was saying. Here's how it went, Brother Kenny. He probably came to him and he said, there's no point in going home. The famine's there too. You're going to starve to death there just like you're going to starve to death here. And, 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 and there, you're going to have all these rules put upon you. And he said, beyond that, your daddy won't even accept you. If you tried to go home, you think he's going to let you come home after all you've done? The young man probably said, well, he's my father. Said, well, that's true. He is your father. You know what he might do? He might just make you a slave just like you are here, if you go back. You know, the young man came to himself and woke up when he said, that's all right with me. That's all right with me. <laughs> that's what it takes. I don't want to get in the weeds here, but that's what it takes. What's the difference, preacher? Somebody I've been praying for and I've been witnessing to for 20 years. What's the di- they got to get to that place where they say, that's all right with me. If that's what it takes, I'll give everything that I've got. I'll give up. I'll quit trying. I'll be a slave. I'll be a servant. And they'll find out if they'll do that, they'll get to be a son or a daughter of the king. Got to humble themselves before God. You know, the lie he probably told him was this that going home would mean humiliation instead of restoration. I said it would mean humiliation instead of restoration. Well, I can't I can't come to God. What would I even say to him? Man, I've done all these things, I've messed up. There ain't no coming back, there ain't no going back now. That's a lie from the devil. What did the father do? <laughs> he says, Bring forth the best robe. And then he says, put a ring on his finger. Now, that ring wasn't just any old ring. That ring had the insignia of the family upon it. You know what was happening there? He was restoring him to his former place as a son. You know what he got? Man, this is amazing. You know what he got? I'm enjoying my... Man, you know what he got? He said, I want authority. Father said, all right, you can have authority. What did he do? He blew it. He blew it. He messed up. He became another man's slave. Then he said to himself, all right, I'd rather be a slave for my daddy than a slave for this man. So he came to himself and he came back home. So you know what the father did? He said, you know what? Now you're ready for authority. Now, I got got chills. Now you're ready for authority. You thought you was a son before. Now you're a son. And he took a ring and put it on his finger. 
and said, make any decision that you want. But you know what? It was safe to do. You know why? Because his spirit and attitude wanted, I'm a son, I can do what I want. It was, I'm a servant. Father, what do you want me to do? So the father says, all right, now you can be a son. And now you can have the authority. And now you can have the choices. Isn't it amazing what you can learn when you're humble? What a fool he had been to ever leave the father's house. What a fool he was to give up being a son, to become a slave. He should have gone home right at that moment. And what a fool he was those many long months, maybe years, that he listened to the lies that that man poured into his ears, telling him he could not come home. I don't know where you're at today, but I know there's not a soul in this room that can't apply what's been given to you today. You know why? Because you may be sitting snugly at the Father's table. I hope you are. It's where every one of us belongs. But you know as well as I do that the sounds of the far country come waving in the open window sometimes. And there's a temptation to get up and start to venture out. Stay at the Father's table. You might be one of those that just step down the driveway. You're on your way out. Can I tell you something? It's not too late. You don't have to go to the pigsty to get back home. That's not the route you have to take. Turn around and go back to Him right now. Run to His feet. Test yourself at His feet and say, Lord, I don't want none of that. I don't want none of that mess. God, I'll do anything You want in my life. I'll be Your servant. Lord, I do not want to be prey to the far country. You may be out there in the far country and you're getting ready to step into the pigsty. You're getting ready to do something you would have never done before. Can I tell you something? As, as noble as all of the testimonies of people lifting, uh, God lifting people out of the pit are, can I tell you a better testimony? Don't ever climb in that pit in the first place. Some of y'all been in the pit. You can give me an amen there. It ain't no fun in the pit. It ain't no fun in the pigsty. A better testimony would be to say, the Father got to me before I ever got there. There could be somebody in this room. And you know, a person could be this way and no one even know it. They could have learned how to come, put a mask on at church, you know, and I don't mean a mask, I mean like a, like a, <laughs> I don't mean, I don't mean one of those, but I'm saying learn to put on a face at church and, and they, they could have learned to put on their nice clothes and smile and pretend like everything's just, everything's fine. And yet they could be living right now in the pigsty, spiritually, their life, I'm talking about in the dump. And listening to the lies the devil's pouring in. You can't, you can't go down there. What are people going to think if you go down to that altar? I'll tell you what they're going to think. They're going to think, well, there's somebody serious about their walk with God. And if they think any worse than that, let me know. I'll whoop them. Or they'll whoop me trying, one of the two. I'm saying, that's a lie from the devil, saying you can't go back. That's his M.O. He may be coming to you and saying, listen, uh, you go that way. Uh, it ain't going to be no better. You're going to be miserable uh, if you're serving God. He's a liar, man. You tell me, listen, all, all, all this, this smell of these freshly baked pies waving around this room. That's why I don't put my services online. Somebody would see that part of it and be confused. Is he talking about pies? All this praise, all this rejoicing floating around this room. You're telling me we can't have fun at the Father's house? Man, that's all we have at the Father's house. I'm saying this to you. Come back home. Come back home. Don't stay in the far country. Preacher, I've been saved 20 years, 30 years. I don't care. You can still get out in the far country. Come back home. Preacher, I am home. Good. Then commit to stay home. Recommit your resolve to the Father's house. To say, I'm determined that I'm going to keep serving Him and living for Him. Let's bow together this morning. The altar is open. You can come the moment that you're that you're ready and, and obedient to the Lord. Uh, piano player is going to come and play, but I want you to just respond obediently to the Lord this morning. If He dealt with you, please deal with Him. Father, bless this invitation. Lord, I love you. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the sweet grace of God. I pray that you'd minister in this invitation time and may Christ get the glory from it. We love you, Lord, and we ask it in Christ's name.